Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. This episode is entitled Plantagenet Genealogy from the First to Third Crusades. In medieval times, the family or gens was paramount. It was not only the basic unit of feudal society, but it was also the individual's chief means of, of obtaining land and exercising military power. While a significant amount of work is extant regarding the domains and campaigns of specific families, very little has been done to investigate the role of the family or heritage within a greater social context, such as a crusade. Today I shall be speaking from the perspective of a historian exploring the nascent European and Eastern Latin nobility in the era of the early crusades. I hope to untangle some of the genealogical branches that one will encounter in studying the military leaders of the first through third crusades, for clearly the noble crusaders do not magically appear in situ as the chronicles might lead one to expect. As well as I might, since some sources conflict, it is my intention to show how the ruling families of Europe descended and expanded from 10th century Europe in the 13th century Latin East. My intention is to provide through genealogy a path that will put the key players into the places and events described by the chroniclers. To follow our story in chronological order, the first family to be examined is the Capetian dynasty of France. For the purposes of this podcast, the sire of this line shall be Robert the Pious, King of France, in 996. And by the way, he would have been called King of the Franks. This line is easily followed as the French practice the custom of primogeniture or inheritance by the eldest son, regardless of whether the son was born of a first or subsequent marriage, and regardless of any female children. In this way, the crown passed through several generations, resting with Louis VII by the mid-12th century. However, Robert the Pious had another son, Robert of Burgundy, to whom was born a daughter, Audiard, who married Guy of Poitou. From this union was born a son, William VIII, who inherited the Duchy of Aquitaine and the County of Poitou, a region that shortly became famous for its courtly culture under the great-granddaughter of William, the celebrated Eleanor of Aquitaine. As medieval historians are well aware, in that age it was common practice to unite families through marriage, not only to gain land, but to protect existing territories and to entrench the connection of two lines through the mixture of blood in the children of the marriage. 
The common ancestry of France and Aquitaine was therefore reintegrated by the marriage of Louis VII to Eleanor of Aquitaine. Although the couple divorced after their voyage on the Second Crusade, at which time Eleanor gave as reason for her divorce the very consanguinity which had, in part, made their marriage initially desirable, the marriage did produce two daughters, permanently mingling the Capetian and Aquitanian bloodlines. In these ways, heritage, marriage, and progeny, the expected role of the relationship within the gens was fulfilled. Yet Eleanor was not only the divorcee duchess of powerful Aquitaine, but in one person she represented a block of the whole of Mediterranean Europe. That is to say, her own family connected her to the ruling powers of the entire 12th century South. Examining Eleanor's family tree, we find not only the French blood passed along by her grandfather Robert the Pious, but several significant alliances of marriage. Her great-aunt her great Agnes of Poitou married the King of Castile, resulting in Eleanor's kinship to the royal families of Portugal and Navarre. The same marriage loosely related Eleanor to the Norman kings of Sicily. By the marriage of her other great-aunt, Agnes of Aquitaine, Eleanor was kin to the kings of Aragon. Eleanor's mother later reaffirmed the connection by a later marriage into Aragon. Eleanor's stepbrothers became the counts of Puissant, Toulouse, and the new stronghold of Tripoli. By these three marriages alone, Eleanor was united with the powerful political rulers of southern Europe and geographically Aquitaine was now relatively secure within its family of neighbors. In comparison to Eleanor's ties in the Mediterranean, we find her second husband, Henry II of England, also firmly tied to the less populous but equally extensive powers of northern Europe. In order to investigate Henry's roots, we must, gain, we must again drift briefly into the 10th century to find parents for the north. Here we find Richard II of Normandy and his wife Judith of Brittany, heiress of that land. We may also reintroduce Robert the Pious as another parent, whose daughter Alex was briefly married to their eldest son. Their second son, Robert the Devil, fathered William the Conqueror of England. Matilda of Flanders, a granddaughter of Robert the Pious, became his queen consort. Thus, a French Capetian connection was made through Robert the Pious and Flanders, while Brittany remained a steadfast ally and a frequent marriage partner. But in conquering any new feudal territory, it has also been important to ensure that the new ruling family was allied not only at home, but allied especially to the old ruling family of their new territory. Therefore, William's son, Henry I, married into the royalty of Scotland, who were in part descended from England's Anglo-Saxon king Edward the Atheling. This tie lent legitimacy and some loyalty to the recently arrived Norman house and was emphasized again in the next generation through the marriage of Henry's daughter Sybil to the King Alexander of Scotland. Perhaps our best evidence is in the fact that when the native line of the kings of Scotland died out in the next few generations, the crown passed to the Norman line descended from William's sister Adelaide. Although the crusading of lesser noblemen with any particular overlord was fairly fluid, mainly because of the international nature of their holdings, during the Third Crusade we find that the lords of Blois make a point of preferring the French king. It has been suggested that this availability of choice might be because the Third Crusade was the first on which both the English and French kings were present, thus providing a choice. Indeed, had Frederick 
Barbarossa survived the journey to Outtremor, the German-speaking nations might have proven this case by designating his control over themselves. I would propose, in the context of the gens of this podcast, that an additional cause may have been the civil war in England during early 12th century. At this time, Henry I became king of England and his sister Adela married into the county of Blois. Difficulties arose in the subsequent generation when Henry's death left open the English throne. His two sons had recently perished by drowning in the white ship disaster, and Henry had declared his eldest legitimate heir to be his daughter, called Empress Maud, for her marriage to the late Holy Roman Emperor. Now, she's also being referred to as Empress Matilda. However, her young cousin, Stephen of Blois, laid claim to the crown, also first through Henry's sister, his grandmother, and then through Henry himself as an uncle. This situation is usually thought to involve the custom of primogeniture, although I believe that this issue had more to do with the Norman versus a French heritage in England, or perhaps it was simply an issue of Stephen's reputation as an inept politician. Whatever the reason or reasons, the Council Blois, having destroyed their blood and marriage alliances with England through the Civil War, then realigned themselves with the Capetians of France, providing Stephen's daughter Adela of Bois as a queen consort to Louis VII. Meanwhile, Matilda's son, Henry II, became king of England, being her eldest child by her second husband, Geoffrey. Here we must stop to take note of the Angevin dynasty sired by Geoffrey's father, Fulk V of Anjou, who was the son of the French queen Berthelet through her second marriage to Fulk Russian of Anjou. This Angevine line was shortly to become the Plantagenet line of England through the marriage of Fulk V's son, Geoffrey, to Matilda and their child, Henry II, as noted above. Not only this, but through his second marriage, Fulk V had become the father of the new kingdom of Jerusalem, which in turn became entwined with the princes of Antioch and the Byzantine Empire through marriage. So while one ally, Blois, had been lost to another dynasty, the Normans were placed by common ancestry in a powerful position of political and military responsibility at a crucial moment in crusading history and in the Latin East. Thus we are brought to the point of the marriage of Eleanor and Henry, which it is itself the combination of several ancestral bloodlines into one family that is the union of Capetian France, Iberia, Norman England, Brittany, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Byzantium. Geographically, Eleanor brought Aquitaine, Spain, Portugal, Toulouse, and Tripoli into union with Henry's lands in Normandy, and his allies of Brittany, Flanders, and Scotland, with his cousin of Antioch, Jerusalem, and Byzantium. Together they founded the Plantagenet dynasty, emphasizing the ancestral unification of Europe through the marriage of their children to France, Brittany, Navarre, Sicily, Toulouse, and Castile. However, in any examination of history, one must take into account the social aspect, not only through the family or gens, but also through the personal relationship within those families. It is clear by the family charts how diverse and distant some of the noble kinships were. Although it is generally given that the nobility of Europe have always viewed one another as cousins. Here we find the trials and tribulations of the extended feudal families such as Eleanor and her son's rebellion against Henry II. A second example, and found at the time of the Third Crusade when Richard refused to marry Alice, daughter of Louis VII of France, by Constance, 
because Richard's own father, Henry II, was reported to have had a son by her. It cost Richard his French territories of Gisors, Vagines, and 10,000 pounds of silver to break his engagement, and he married instead Berengaria of Navarre, a southern alliance negotiated by Eleanor herself. In another instance, the personal rivalry between Richard and Philip II, who were related vaguely through the first marriage of Richard's mother Eleanor to Philip's father, Louis VII, was played off by their nephew, Henry II of Champagne, who renounced Philip when refused a loan and instead swore fealty to Richard. The Earls of Gloucester were descended from an illegitimate Norman line, and despite Earl Robert's military aid to Richard during the crusade, in later years, his daughter Isabella was divorced from John Lackland using consanguinity in favor of John's marriage to a cousin of the Capetian king, Isabel of Diagolim. On the positive side, family discord was not always the rule. For example, the common allegation that Richard and Philip conducted their armies to the Crusades by separate routes because of their aforementioned personal rivalry is untrue. The kings were concerned about the supply of the crusaders' armies traveling in mass, and Philip could not pursue Richard's preferred sea route because of his tendency towards seasickness. Until this point, we have seen much intermingling of various bloodlines, creating the extended gens of nobility on the crusades. But could the gens be expanded outside its traditional bloodlines? Of significance is that personal friendship outside of the gens could cause the bloodline of the friend to be brought into a gens and secured there by marriage and progeny. In this case, Richard gave pride of place to Hugh Lebrun, also called Hugh X de Lucien, a man from Richard's own county of Poitou and a favorite member of Richard's household or famil familia. The next step outward from the gens, Hugh's brother Guy was wed to Richard's cousin, Queen Sybil of Jerusalem and Richard created him the king of Cyprus, befitting of his new station. Guy's brother Amory was wed to Richard's other cousin, Queen Isabella, and they had a child named Hugh. Among her many unions, Isabella was also married to the aforementioned Henry of Champagne, Richard's nephew and favored by Richard's affection. Isabella and Henry had a daughter, Alice of Champagne, thus a new branch of the gens created of Richard's cousins of Jerusalem and the favorite members of his familia was brought into and affirmed within the gens itself when young Hugh and Alice were wed. Therefore, while the history of personal opinion is rarely written, ultimately I believe these friendships within the context of the political and territorial aims of the gens have significant bearing on the gens itself. Thus we have seen how ancestry, marriage, and progeny could bind a prominent crusading family origins from its origins in 10th century Europe through conquests in the Latin East some four centuries later. We have seen how the gens might be tried by the very blood ties that are at substance, and we have seen how the gens could be expanded through the familia or one's household and friends. By creating this genealogical path from the 10th century forward, we can trace the various Gentes of medieval Europe nobility from their origins in 10th Europe to their places in the early Crusades, where the scholar, I hope, will find them more intelligible than their crusading context.